Welcome to Porter Wright's Antitrust Law Source. Good morning. This is Jay Levine, your host of Antitrust Law Source, and I'm here with two of my partners, uh, Bob Tannis, who's the managing partner of the firm and one of our leading M&A and security lawyers, and Jeremy Siegfried, uh, another partner in the corporate department who deals a lot with M&A and private equity. Uh, how you doing, Bob? Doing great. Okay. Jeremy? Doing well. Okay. Um, so there's been a lot of reports that, you know, uh, for reasons that are somewhat obvious, in the final quarter of 2016, their deal, you know, sort of slowed down a little bit, especially PE deals, and that there's some pent-up demand for PE deals in the first quarter. And I guess from Middle America, um, I wanted kind of to get your your views on whether that's true and kind of what they're looking for and what activity you see. So, uh, Bob, is that generally true? Yeah, Jay, that it is. Uh, we saw in the last quarter of 2016 a bit of a slowdown uh, which we kind of expected it was it was not unusual in the sense that we saw the same thing during the uh, presidential election in 2012 where we saw the the fourth quarter uh, slow down and then in 2013 the first quarter of 2013 was just really uh, a lot of pent-up demand and a lot of uh, deals getting done uh, we anticipated essentially the same thing this time around um, obviously, these national elections uh, have a lot of impact in terms of tax policy and, and regulatory uh, issues. And, and a lot of times uh, what we're seeing is, especially where elections are expected to be close, uh, that there might be some slowdown, sort of a wait-and-see attitude uh, taken by investors in terms of what they want to uh, look, uh, look at, and and how they want to price deals, and and uh, so from that standpoint, uh, I don't think 2016 was was much different. Right now, now in 2012, obviously it was just a continuation of the previous administration, whereas this was obviously a fairly, um, fairly dramatic sea change, and especially with the tax policies and the like. Do you expect to for people go take a little bit of a wait-and-see attitude and see sort of how tax reform goes? Or are they just going to dive in anyway? Yeah, we're not necessarily seeing that now. I think people are just diving in. I think it was a... They, they have a sense of what uh, what those some of those reforms would be. They have a sense of what, that, what our uh, restructured tax policy might be. Uh, they got a lot of preview of that uh, during the campaigns, right. and so I, I don't think that the, there's there's a whole lot of surprises in terms of what the expectation is. So I think people are, have gone right back in and, and are looking at making investments and uh, in that uh, in their analysis of, of returns and so forth, uh, they can bake in what they expect is is going to be the uh, the impact of any tax changes or regulatory changes. Mm-hmm. Jeremy, do you see the sort of the number of deals increasing or also sort of the value that's being assigned to these deals? I think two, 2015 was a relatively strong year, so we saw some softness here in the, in the second half of 2016 and maybe even in, into the first quarter of 2017. But I think we will, given the pent-up demand, we will see a stronger second half of the year than the first half of the year. Uh, I'm still seeing a lot of middle market and smaller smaller deals getting done there. 
kind of on the bulge bracket, the larger larger cap deals, um, those might be a little heavily, more heavily affected. Um, but but I do still see uh, a strong second half of the year compared to the first half. Right. I mean, we we unfortunately headlines tend to skew our view of kind of what's going on, and you see these, you know, thirty forty billion dollar deals tend to be sort of ho hum. And I, I still remember when a billion dollars was real right. money. Um, but are 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 PE deals just going after the big stuff, or are they are they are they I think you use coined the term singles and doubles. Yeah, no, they're they're not going just after the big stuff. Uh, I mean, they're they're really spending. You know, the the, the big deals are out there, but they're far and few between. Um, they're spending more time looking at the, what we consider to be more middle market deals. Mm -hmm. uh, the, that's where they see the opportunity, uh, especially when you've got a PE fund and you've got to deploy your capital uh, and you've got a limited time frame in which to deploy that capital. Uh, and if you don't, you end up having to return it to the investors. Uh, they're tending to look more at the, so it's not unusual to see them doing uh, the 50 to uh, $500 million type, type deals. Uh, the, there's a lot of good companies out there. Uh, but, but the reality is, is right now we're in a seller's market, is that, the, that when you've got a really good solid deal, regardless of the, the price point, it's very competitive in terms of uh, uh, the, 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 the players who are interested in that deal. And that what we're seeing is it's driving valuations up, and, which is good for, good for sellers. Uh, and, uh, but uh, uh, you know, it's very competitive in terms of uh, that. And you, you'll see that really at every level, not necessarily just at the billion dollar deals, but you'll, you'll see it in the under billion dollar market as well. Interesting. So there, there's, there's sort of a premium now just because of this pent-up demand. Um, you were talking before, I think you had said, Jeremy, that a lot of P um, firms are looking for kind of that solid company to sort of form the foundation of their strategy right. and bolt on. Can you sort of let us know? Sure, what, sure. Know I mean, it's a common strategy where, where you have a P firm that will go out and try to find that platform company that establishes the base and then they'll try to grow the size of the company by um, acquiring what they call bolt-on acquisitions. Mm -hmm. So, you, so you might go out and do a hundred million dollar acquisition and then if you can find different kind of uh, vertical or horizontal integration with that company, um, you know, it can drive it to much bigger size so when they when they exit five years, six years down the road, um, get some scale and, and often when you get a greater scale sometimes you can get a greater premium. Interesting. Now, is is all of the pent-up PE demand, is that dampening IPOs for any reason, or does it really not affect them? It, it, it doesn't necessarily affect them um, uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, the reality is is that is that these deals uh, that are being done uh, are, are uh, on, the, on their own, not companies that are likely to... to to be in a publicly traded company at the at the outset, okay. uh, that's certainly an exit strategy that a PE firm may look at, you know, five or six years down the road. But that would probably require a couple different things. One is is some of the acquisitions that Jeremy's talking about, uh, maybe becoming more vertical in terms of in terms of those operations, uh, certainly growing and having you know solid revenue performance. Uh, those things then might uh, facilitate that the PE firm do an IPO versus uh, an exit mm -hmm. at, at that point in time. Uh, 
but the IPO market has been sort of up and down over the last uh, couple years. Uh, we've seen uh, uh, we've seen some things that that have gone out that have done extremely well, and other things that have just sort of fizzled. Uh, but that market is 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 still there, but it's not really impacting uh, what the private equity firms are are doing these days. Now, it, now I was, it just occurred to me, is foreign investment sort of competing with, with the PE, with the domestic PE? Yeah, I, I think it is. And, and I think that uh, we, we are seeing foreign investment uh, becoming, uh, you know, a, a bigger issue for, for U.S. companies. Obviously, mm-hmm. PE firms, depending on their fund criteria, et cetera, have the ability to, to go abroad in terms of looking for, for deals. Um, there was an interesting article this morning in the Wall Street Journal about uh, investors that are leaving U.S. markets and, and, and right. looking for opportunities in, in Europe and, and other places. Uh, that's always that in the, in the markets today, uh, because it's so much easier, that's going to be, that's going to be part of, uh, uh, part of the, the uh, competition that the companies will have in terms mm-hmm. of for those dollars. But I think that there's just again there's just so much there's so much uh, pent up uh, private equity money that there's probably enough to go around both uh, domestically and internationally. Right, and are international or the Chinese or the British or the the French the Germans are they coming here as well because they're not finding enough in their own region? We are. We're seeing we're seeing more uh, seeing more of that foreign investment coming to the U.S. Uh, you know, obviously the EB-5 uh, uh, economic development uh, zones that exist where you get a green card, you know, that continues to be uh, part, of the, part of the analysis uh, that's been more, um, uh, I think it's been more impactful for China than, than, than any of the other countries. Right. But, uh, but certainly we are seeing foreign investment coming to the U.S. as well. Uh, and again, people looking for looking for opportunities, uh, especially uh, those companies maybe coming and looking for strategic, you know, strategic acquisition that sure. might might be uh, impactful to, to their business. It might also open uh, opportunities for new markets, uh, and that's why you would look at some of those. Is that if you could acquire a U.S. company, now you've got a ready-made market here in the United States that you could tap into. Uh, to sell your products if you're a European company to be able to, to market your, your products here in the U.S. I, I got to assume that because of Brexit, the, the U.S. sort of relatively has become, you know, a little bit more attractive just because it's, you know, buying in Europe, it's not quite as fluid as it once was. Um, is that, I mean, again, that's a speculation on my part, but do you think that's, you know... Yeah, the, the impact of Brexit, I don't think, has been fully sort of implemented right. and, and seen. Um, I think that uh, uh, the French elections over the weekend, you know, kind of solidified the EU. There was some concern that if Macron yeah. didn't win, uh, that that could result in, in uh, uh, France potentially leaving the EU, which would have caused trouble. So... Uh, I think that, that the EU feels a little bit more stabilized right now. The impact of, of uh, the UK leaving, you know, isn't really fully, uh, fully. It's, it might be baked in in some of the markets, but it's not fully, the effects of it aren't fully understood. And, and it could have, you know, positive impact on, on U.S. and opportunities for U.S. businesses 
whether to invest abroad or for opportunities for uh, investors from abroad coming to the U.S. Right. Now, obviously, as lawyers, we don't tell our clients how much to pay for something. But, I mean, are you, when, when, when your clients are coming to you, um, either on the A side, the buy side, or the sell side, are you, are you, you know, somewhat taken aback by some of the dollars they're either spending or receiving for, for what, you know, for the value? I mean, I think it's still a pretty good time to sell a business if you're a yeah. seller. I mean, I think valuations are still pretty strong. Right. Even though you've seen uh, volumes of deals go down, I think it's still a great time to be a seller. Um, you never know. I mean, a lot of people think we're getting kind of pretty late in this cycle. And even while, you know, the next six months may be stronger than the first half, at some point, I think everybody's thinking, when's the next down cycle going to come? Mm-hmm. You know, is that in another year, is another six months? So I think if, if you're looking to be a seller, maybe now's a good time because when the next down cycle comes, and they always come sooner or later, um, right. you know, valuations could, could head right. down. So, I mean, that that is a concern. It's a concern I hear in the boardroom or talking with companies that, um, and even from the bankers, um, that's that's a reason to sell now is is a concern about the next down cycle when that comes. And on, on the flip side, if you're a buyer, uh, you're having to be more creative in terms of how you're structuring the deals. So uh, obviously, you know, money is is a big part of the deals, but then you've also got to look at uh, what are some of the terms, the indemnification terms. You know, uh, we're seeing a lot more use of representation warranty insurance, uh, things like that to to ensure that. Once this deal is done, there's not a huge uh, downside risk for the seller. And so uh, as a buyer, you're having to be more creative in terms of structuring your bid for the business because uh, uh, while price is a big part of it, all these other things could could become determinative in terms of when, when, when they're trying to evaluate your bid against somebody else's bid. Right. Well, are you seeing, are you seeing full exits or do you see management, you know, Retaining a retaining a piece of the action so that the PE fund makes sure that they they have skin in the game. Yeah, the PE funds are, are requiring management to to have some skin in the game, and so you're seeing you're seeing them roll over uh, some equity to, mm-hmm. to stay in and as 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 part of the deal. Um, it's again, it's a you know, it's a it's it's almost creative financing. Is that sure. you don't have to come up with 100 percent of the cash. Uh, you know, uh, leverage uh, leverage of deals has has changed. You know, prior to two thousand eight, uh, PE firms would probably leverage a deal somewhere in the neighborhood of seventy five eighty percent of that money that they're putting in has been borrowed uh, or financed in some other way. Uh, we're seeing those leverages come down significantly, and management uh, rolling over to have a stake and. Uh, it's not uncommon to see that the, the PE firm might require management to stay in at somewhere between a 10 to 20 percent right. interest yeah. in the deal. Yeah, I mean, even from the antitrust side, when I when I sort of see deals, it's not my ballywick, but I'm I am seeing management, you know, keeping about 10 or 15 right. percent, and I, I sort of assumed that uh, it's, it's it's sort of a, a insurance for the PE or well it is you want them to have skin in the game in terms of the future the future of the company obviously uh, if, if you didn't have that as if again these deals are big dollar deals but uh, it's very hard to uh, make someone a, a multi-millionaire uh, and then expect them to, that they want to show up for work every day 
and so the only way to do that is to, I hope it all happens to us absolutely right. Right. Uh, but the only way to do that is to keep them to keep them interested in terms of what's going on and that's that's to keep equity right and, and do you find that to be a relatively effective tool absolutely yeah some of these double dips can get to be pretty high numbers. So right. um, when you start working through the math with some of the, some folks, it, it, it is attractive. Um, and so I think it is is there's definitely skin in the game. Um, now occasionally you'll get get that that one off person that they've got a big pile of money in their back pocket and you know they said it's just gravy there for them. So that they're less that less inclined. But um, and, and Jeremy and I have done a couple deals where you've had. Uh, members of management who have had a couple double dips that they, they, they got bought out originally, they rolled over, right. uh, they got bought out again and rolled over, and so they've gotten a couple different paydays, and, and it's fairly lucrative uh, for them. But again, from, a, from the PE side, if, uh, if you're the acquirer, you want, you want uh, those folks to continue to have skin in the game. Yeah, this is purely um, sort of observational because I don't see as many deals as you do. But I'm seeing more and more that, you know, the, the management or the, the, the people who are exiting out to PE, this is, this is like their third, second, third, or fourth venture. I mean, they're sort of serial. Um, and, you know, they've made a ton of money in, in their prior lives, but um, they don't sit still um, and they don't just go sailing is 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 that just a perception because that happens to be coincidentally the deals I see or is or is that more no, common these days I think it's, it's more common I mean I think entrepreneurs are, are just that they're entrepreneurs and and uh, for many of them and we see we see a lot of these where they have an exit and they've done fairly well and have enough to you know but after uh, you play golf for three months or sail or do whatever you get you get bored and you're looking for a different opportunity a different different venture that's that's what they like and that's that's what sort of drives them day to day and so you'll see a lot of those folks that will come back in whether they're looking to acquire something they become acquirers themselves right or they're looking to start up to start up a new venture or something like that um, I think that's just nature of being an entrepreneur it's kind of like a coach you know, they, they can only stay so long in the broadcast right before exactly. they get on the sidelines um, well that's that, that's sort of interesting well let me let me before we end let me ask you sort of what do you uh, you know for Ohio you know which is sort of almost smack in the middle of the country sort of what do you see you know going forward in terms of I mean, it, it has a reputation as a fairly pro-business environment um, I, I suspect that's not going to change anytime soon do you do you suspect do you see any 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 big changes coming down the pike no, uh, for us uh, in, in Ohio, I agree with you, it's a very pro-business environment, uh, so we don't see any, anything really changing dramatically in terms of regulation or anything that would impede that. Uh, obviously, I think that uh, uh, as, as uh, deals get, have gotten tighter and tighter and fewer, that, that PE firms have had to venture outside from the the coast, and they're looking. They're looking to the uh, to the Midwest, and so we see, you know, that there'll be more activity. There'll be more activity here, more opportunities for for transactions. There's a lot of great companies uh, that uh, that that uh, are operating out of Ohio, and, mm -hmm. and uh, so we see that there's there's lots of great opportunities here as well for uh, both from an acquisition standpoint, from a growth standpoint. 
Interesting. And Jeremy, do you see any any uh, sectors on the horizon that are going to Yeah, get? I think in Ohio, if you look at kind of the eastern part of the of the state, the oil and gas has slowed a little bit. Um, and then that was hot a couple of years ago. But I think here in Columbus, it's, it's a growing city. We've got a, a vibrant kind of startup, um, you know, venture type scene here. Had a couple nice exits recently in town, high profile exits. So I think that that's going to continue on. I think, you know, healthcare, the the tech um, software is still pretty strong. We're seeing a lot of deals there. Um, and there's some manufacturing deals that we're seeing getting done northeastern part of the state. Um, so so that's that's kind of what I'm seeing out there. A couple sectors there. Right. Is is manufacturing? I mean, all the big deals you hear are either healthcare or tech. I mean, you don't hear a lot about manufacturing. Is that you know, it's it's still still a big business. There's okay. a lot of a lot of good deals, a lot of a lot of dollars that are going into them. But yeah, they're not. The problem is they're not sexy industries. Yes. Uh, right. You know, manufacturing uh, uh, widgets is, is not is, is not necessarily uh, deemed to be sexy. But uh, there's uh, uh, they're, they're pretty stable dollars. There stuff's got to get made. Stuff right. does have to get made. <laughs> we, and, we don't live in a virtual world. Right. Right. And so I think that there's still opportunity. So we see, you know, a lot of 25 to a couple hundred million dollar deals that just, you know, they don't hit the headlines of the paper, but but deals are getting done. Out yeah, there. it's kind of the bread and butter. It is. It is. It okay. is. Cool. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. Again, this is Jay Levine. I'm here with Bob Tannis and Jeremy Siegfried. I uh, appreciate your, uh, your taking the time to uh, talk with us. Thank, thank you, Jay. Jay. Porter Wright Morrison Arthur LLP offers this content for informational purposes only as a service for our clients and friends. This content is not intended as legal advice for any purpose and you should not consider it as such. All rights reserved.